Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. So we are in a series called Hot Topics and really just talking about things that are hot topics. And today's, uh, today's topic is a little different, but I do, I do think that it's important to talk about. And I want to preface this with, I have like a ton of congestion in my head right now. And like, uh, and you might think I've always had that. That's not true. But I, I have a ton in my head right now. And so everything sounds really, really loud to me. Like everything's just kind of bouncing around. So if I'm yelling at you, I apologize. I don't know I'm doing it. If I'm just whispering to you, I apologize. I didn't know I'm, I'm doing that. But again, we're in the series called Hot Topics. And with that, one of the things that we're gonna talk about today is, is this phrase right here. It's all over social media. It's become kind of a big thing over the last couple of years. And it's the phrase deconstruction, okay? Now deconstruction is not something you're doing in your house or, or something going on in your office. It's not that at all. Deconstruction is really the idea of what happens to your faith. There, there is a segment of people who really through social media, through reading, through different parts of life, they have started to deconstruct, to kind of tear apart their own faith. And a lot of times what that leads them to is people who don't believe in God or have a different view of God or, do, uh, or have a different um, faith narrative for, for themselves. And so today we're gonna talk about deconstruction. And, and I was nervous about talking about this because honestly, in this room, it feels like I really am preaching to the choir. If you're here today, I, my gut is that you, you believe in Jesus and that you love him and that you're here to learn about the Bible. And so what I was talking to Pastor Brent about with this was he said, man, that could be true, but there also are people who, who, deal, who deal with doubt and deal with different kinds of um, disillusionment with, with the world. And if it's not you, it's somebody that you know or somebody that you're gonna be related to that will go through this process. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today, de deconstruction. Now, Really the big question today though is this idea of how do we know what we believe is true? How do we know what we believe is true? I will tell you a time in the 90s when my whole world was just shattered, flipped upside down for me. In the 90s, if, any, if you were around in that time period, and I think most of you were, in the 90s, it was like a, a golden age of sports, right? Like that was, and I'm not like a big sports guy, but like I remember being at my grandma's, at my grandma's house watching the Bulls play, right? I remember those days. I remember I had a Jordan like jersey. Like I, I remember that was a, a big thing. I remember the Dallas Cowboys were a big deal. Some of you guys still think they're a big deal, but I, I remember that was like a, a big thing. And so like this was like a lot of times, I mean, the highest ratings on TV in the 90s were a lot of times the sports things. And like that, that's, that's incredible and that, that's awesome. I'm gonna tell you about 10-year-old Matt Barnett though. 10-year-old Matt Barnett was at Twin Cities Elementary. It's not there anymore, but he's at Twin Cities Elementary. He had a bowl cut, okay? That was what was happening in that time period. And, and that version of Matt Barnett was a little mouthy. Um, now, you might, like I am obviously not that anymore, but in that period I was a, a little mouthy. And yes, at the time, there was the Chicago Bulls and the, and the Heat and, and the Dallas. There was all those cool teams. But what grabbed my attention more than anything else, and you know this, was professional wrestling. And in that time period, in, in 1997, when I was 10 years old, in 1997, there was a feud on TV, on pro wrestling, and that was just incredible. And it was between a guy named Diamond Dallas Page. 
I'll, I want to show you videos right now if I could. I mean, like, if we can take the rest of the time up, I'll just show you a bunch of videos on this. Versus who I believe was the coolest human being in all of history in the 90s, the macho man Randy Savage, okay? And those were, those were my guys. And if you watched that feud, which I'm assuming none of you did, uh, if, you, if you watched that feud, one of the things that happened was Diamond Dallas Page, DDP, uh, he had a finishing maneuver that was deadly, okay? It was deadly. It was called, if you know it, I'll give you $5. You wanna know it? Oh, I love you for that, okay. Yeah, it was the, 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 it was the diamond cutter, okay? It, and, and for my new people here, the RKO, if you watch wrestling now, which I hope you do. Uh, in that time period, though, the diamond cutter was the deadliest move of all time. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, why did I come to church to hear about professional wrestling? I got about 15 more minutes of this story, so buckle up. And, and so, they, Macho Man and DDP were wrestling, and what would happen is, at the end of their match, Diamond Dallas Page grabbed him by the neck, dropped him on his face. It was called the Diamond Cutter. Again, the deadliest move in history. Now, I want to go back to Twin Cities Elementary and Matt Barnett, 10 years old. I would sometimes get into fights. That was part of my life. Um, I am a gangster, okay? But, like, I, but I, I would sometimes then really, really get in, into some some skirmishes, and what ended up happening is I was mouthing off to this guy, shocking, and I don't condone any of this story, by the way, it's just the best I got right now, and what I would do is, me and this guy would mouth off each other in cafeteria and all these different things, and we decided, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna settle this, we are gonna settle the score, and so we are gonna meet at recess, and we're gonna fight, Now I thought, okay, I, I've got this, this guy's a lot bigger than me, like, he, he, he's massive, and, and so I gotta be, like, I've, I've gotta figure out a way that he doesn't, he doesn't beat me up. And so my thought process was, I've just gotta hit him with the diamond cutter. If I hit him with the diamond cutter, it happened on TV, he's out, we're done, I win. That's all I've gotta do. So, what is it happening? We go to, we go to recess, and all, all the, the nice kids are all playing around, and then I'm, I'm just getting ready for war, okay? And so I'm just like getting my head, I'm like, let's go. The guy shows up, and you know how kids are, they're so nice, they, they gather you around, and they start chaining fight, and they push you into the fight. And so me and this guy, we, we, we lock up, and we start to fight. Now, I realized very quickly, about one second in, no, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was, all right? And so, okay, well, I've gotta figure this out. This is survival of the fittest, I've gotta, I've gotta figure this out. And so, out of nowhere, make a little turn, grab by the neck, drop him on his head, diamond cutter. At that moment, the fight was over. I wish. What actually ended up happening was I hit him with the diamond cutter, he stood up, pushed that off, and then just wailed on me for about 10 more minutes until the teacher showed up, okay? Why I tell you that story is, that was the moment I realized, hey, maybe wrestling isn't as real as I thought it was. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as deadly as I thought it was. And I'm telling you this horrible story to connect you to our faith, all right? And, and how I'm gonna try to do that is there are times in your life where your faith will come up against something in the world. There will come up against either, you can say science, it'll come up against a life situation, it'll come up against your own doubts, whatever it is, it'll come up against it and you have to ask that question, how do I know what I believe is true? And when we talk about deconstruction and when we talk about losing our faith to some extent, I don't wanna, I wanna tell you right up front, a lot of this is a very um, simplistic way of looking at it today. This could be months long series if we wanted to. And if you are in that place where you are deconstructing or you have struggles with doubt and things like that, I'd love to talk to you because like we're not gonna get enough of that done here in 20 minutes. 
I want to just kind of give you a brief overview of what we see in the Bible and what we see in the world around us. But this is a lot bigger talk. And I, don't, I also don't want to oversimplify maybe your pain that you're going through in that. But I do want to prepare us for what it means to, um, to go through deconstruction in our, in our world. So sociologists tell us that each year about 44% of people go through a major faith transition at some point. 44% of people go through a major faith transition. That's a huge number of people, 44%. So, so by the way, that, that's saying that could be that they're moving from believing in God to not believing in God. It also could mean that they move from not believing in God to believing in God. It also, in, in, the, in the poll, it also kind of shows moving denomination to denomination, and, and that could be part of it as well. One of the things I want you to know about deconstruction is this is a uniquely American thing, at least this version of it. South America, here's what I was reading. Most cultures that actually need Jesus in their life don't go through deconstruction. It's the ones that have a lot of time, they have all they need, and so they have so much that they don't need Jesus anymore. And this is where this, a lot of times, comes from. This is a uniquely American idea. And it's been going on for years. There's just a new phrase for it. It's blowing up on social media. If you're on any kind of social media, you might see a theologian get on there and tell you why the Bible's wrong or tell you why there's a, a misprint here or why this and this and this is happening. By the way, don't listen to bad teachers, okay? But they, they can kind of take the words and twist them around to make you kind of doubt or make you think about things differently. Just don't, I wouldn't go down that, that road, but that is a part of deconstruction. So today, this is what we're going to talk about, just deconstruction and what it looks like for us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And it says like this, Jesus is talking, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation is on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Maybe for some of you today, that's the scripture you needed to read. That some of us have built a foundation basically on sand, on our, on our interpretations, on our life. We've built, we built this faith foundation on what God does for me, and what I can get out of it. And Jesus says, man, this is, that's just sand. And when real life hits, it's going to destroy it. Build your life on the rock of who Jesus is. Jude verse 22 says this, be merciful to those who doubt. By definition, deconstructing is breaking down the faith system that you have believed in and building something in its place with or without God. So today we're gonna talk about two different things. We're gonna talk about with deconstruction, we're gonna talk about two different variants that I've seen in my, in my own life and that I've seen in people around me. I wanna just make sure that I'm in the room here and that you understand where we're going. If you've ever had doubt, if you've ever struggled with your faith and questions about faith, if that's you in the room, we're gonna be open and honest because we're at church. Will you raise your hand if you've ever had this struggle? Yeah, almost all of us in this room have. And so this is not something new but it is something that we need to look at. And so deconstruction, I see it in two different ways and a lot of different people see it in two different ways. They see it in disillusionment 
and then they see it in straight doubt. Deconstruction comes from disillusionment and then doubt. If we let our doubt go crazy, then we can lead to deconstruction. If we leave, let our disillusion, disillusionment go crazy, we can lead to deconstruction as well. When I see this and what we see in a lot of these kind of cases, I want to talk about disillusionment first. When we see this, what we see is really a disillusioned view of who God is. And so I want to show you this. I want to put a picture of Zeus up here on, on the screen, if you don't mind. Now, he's a handsome-looking man, obviously. But this is a, a statue uh, of the Greek god Zeus. He was the king of all the gods. If you know Greek mythology, you know this. He lived in the heavens, and he ruled over everything. He lived on Mount Olympus, ruled over everything. He would be frustrated with the people of the earth. He would meddle in their business. And if he was angry and judgmental, he would take his thunderbolt and strike people down. This is where people get the view of God in heaven striking people with a thunderbolt. Okay? This, is, this is Zeus, this all-powerful, warring god who whatever he wants to do will be done, and no matter what you think, if he wants to get involved with your life, he can. If he doesn't want to be involved with your life, he doesn't have to be, okay? When I talk about disillusionment, some of us in this room, I think we might see God more like this than we do in the Bible. I want to give you another, uh, another Greek God. This is Plutus, okay? Plutus is usually depicted as a little baby. He was the God of riches. The problem with him, though, is he was a God who just, he gave his riches and his blessing to the people he liked, to the people he favored. Didn't matter if they were good or bad. If he liked them, he gave them what he wanted to give them. And so, again, disillusionment. Some of us see God like this, that he's just a God of blessings, and all he does is just give us things, and, and if he likes us, he'll give them to us. But if we've been bad and we didn't read our Bible lately, he won't give us anything. Some of us see God this way. And so I think if you ask the modern normal person walking around, well, how do you see God? Most people who don't know who Jesus is will see him like Zeus or like Plutus in some way. A warring, all-powerful God who, if I get out of line, will hit me with a thunderbolt or a God who, man, I just, if, I, if I do everything right, he's gonna finally bless me. He'll give me whatever I need. And this is where disillusionment comes into place is because we have a bad view of who God is. This is why deconstruction might be a good thing for some of us in this room. Not that you lose your faith, but you deconstruct your view of a bad God and you get a biblical view of who God is, who is all mercy and all wrath, which is a good thing for us, by the way. A God who forgives, but yet a God who does hold people accountable. A God who's given grace and mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and who sees everything as a whole. We need to get a better view of who God is, amen? All right, let's keep going. So when we talk about deconstruction, again, it's not a Jesus who is blonde-haired, blue-eyed out of the movies. Moses is not Charlton Heston, right? It, this is not, this is the God of the Bible that we have to believe in. And so we're gonna talk about disillusionment and doubt. Disillusionment happens when the people of God, I believe, a lot of times, when the people of God don't act like the people of God, they act more like the Pharisees of the Bible. People get disillusioned. The world looks at the church and says, what, why, are you, why are you any different than me? If all you're gonna do is judge me all the time, you're not gonna show me mercy, you're not gonna show me grace, that's where disillusionment can happen. There's people in this room that, I mean, and this is a big phrase that came out recently, this phrase, church hurt. Like some people have been just hurt in the church. And, and I'll be honest, like, that's a real thing, and I don't wanna minimize that. That's pain that some of you guys have dealt with. Some of you guys have been through a church split. You've been hurt in church in some capacity, and I get that, and, and, and I'm so, so sorry for that. I would say this, though, and I'm not trying to minimize pain. I would just say this. The big C church, the whole global church, 
the, the church that God instituted, I would say that I don't know if that church hurt you. Maybe a local body of believers that you can identify hurt you. And what I see people do a lot of times is when they get hurt by the church, then they just take a step back and they don't want to engage anymore with the church. They don't want to have anything to do with church because, man, I've been hurt before. And, and I, I love you. And again, that's why I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. God calls us to have fellowship with other believers. He's never called you to live your faith on your own. I would love for you to come to my office this week. We can set an appointment, come to my office this week and show me in the Bible where God calls us to be silos to ourselves because it's not there. I need you and you need me. I need you when things are bad and when things are good. We make the body up together. This whole place does not, we have 100 volunteers every single Sunday that make this place work. We need each other to come together and make church work. God's never called you to do this on your own. So if you've been hurt by the church, I, I love you and I'm, I'm so sorry. You were hurt by imperfect people. And I, just quite honestly, if you're around here anytime, you might get hurt here too. You might have been hurt here. I think the, the stat lately that 90% of pastors that are in the, in the ministry right now will not retire from the ministry. I, I, I feel like, and I'm not trying to be a victim, but I know church hurt. I know what that feels like. I bet, I bet people have questioned my character here. People have said things about me and my wife before. I get it. it it's not fun. It's easy. But God's called us to live together in community as the body of Christ. So don't give up on that. Disillusionment happens when, another way it happens is when true pain hits your life and you don't have a really good view of who God is. And so it's the idea of, God, I've done all this stuff for you. Why are you letting this bad stuff happen to me? When true pain hits you and you don't know, God, where are you in all this? Where, 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 are, you, where are you at in this? Disillusioned faith is the type of faith that looks at it and says, if you're not gonna take care of me, if I can't trust you, then I'm and that I'm, I'm done with this. And you're disillusioned by who you believe God should be. Another way I think disillusionment happens, and I see this a, a lot in youth ministry, and we've tried to pivot away from this as our church, but youth ministry a lot of times is guilty of event-driven relationships with God. And it looks like this. When I was in youth, it was, hey, when I get to Falls Creek in the summertime, then I'll make it right with the Lord. But right now, I, don't, I, I can't. When I get to Wednesday nights, then, then, then I'll pray, and then I'll ask God to forgive me, and then I'll make it right with the Lord. Some of you guys, when I get to Sunday morning, then I'll ask God for forgiveness, so that's why in the first two songs, I'm just asking God to forgive me for a long time, and then, then I feel like he'll love me. It's event-driven ministry, and it's, it's not good. It, it makes us believe that, man, God's only at events, not in our everyday life. It's more of event-driven religion than actually relationship. Does that make sense to everybody in the room? This is, this is what disillusionment, this is how it can happen. Again, I'm going at a really, really broad stroke idea here. If you're here to hear about apologetics and, and where dinosaurs came from and old earth and newer, I'm not that. I'm not gonna give you any of that because I don't know any of that. But I, I wanna talk about why these things happen. So we're gonna talk about doubt real fast. So we talked about disillusionment. Some of us can be disillusioned, which leads to deconstruction. And then there's the doubt version of this. And really the question is, is God big enough for our doubts? Real quick, Bible trivia, what's the oldest book in the Bible? Not a trick question. I can't hear you anyway, so it's fine. The oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. And real fast, that book is all about, God, where are you? It's all about, what are you doing here? It's a book of questions. It's a book of doubt. 
but God shows up in the end. And so today, we're gonna talk a little bit more about doubt. In Mark chapter nine, we're gonna read a, verse, a couple of verses here. Mark chapter nine, verse 17 says like this. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, he throws him on the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately fell down into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. Real fast, I just, I'm, I feel the conviction here to just say, let's not read these verses like we read textbooks or like we read history books. I want you to put yourself in this story for a second. There's a, there's a father who has a son who's been possessed by a demon, not of his own accord, we don't know why, but he, his son has a demon and his father's at his wits end. He doesn't know what to do. And he just knows if I can get him to Jesus, then maybe Jesus can do something. And he's scared to death because he can't leave his son alone because if he leaves his son alone, his son will jump into a fire or he'll try to drown himself. His son is suicidal. He has a spirit on him. Like th things are bad. And this father doesn't know what else to do. He's at his wits end. And so he finds Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you could just do something about my boy, I, I want, my, I want the, my son back. Jesus says, if you, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. If you believe, then, then we can do this. And then he says in verse 24, probably the best prayer in the Bible, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Jesus, I believe you. But can you help my unbelief? If we're honest in this room, that's a lot of our prayer. I believe you, Jesus, but can you help my unbelief? Jesus, I know you said that you're gonna bless me, but I don't see it right now. Can you help my unbelief? Jesus, I know that you said that if I give to you, if I'm generous to you, if we, if we talk about generosity all the time, God, if I, if I can give to you, then, then you'll help me, that you'll, you'll work in my life. I'll see the blessings of God in my life, not just monetarily, but maybe through relationships. I'll see that. God, I haven't seen it. Can you help my unbelief? This is a prayer that we all have. Jesus, I'm in a tough situation. I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're gonna help me through it, but God, help my unbelief to just believe that I can get there. This is a, a powerful, powerful prayer. Lord, help my doubt, help my faith, because it's hard to believe. This father didn't know what to do. And I'm telling you, it's okay to have doubts. I grew up in a church that a lot of times didn't think that doubts were a good thing, that doubts were symptomatic of no faith. I don't think that's the truth. I, I have doubts. You just said that you did too. So we're, we're all here together believing that, man, sometimes we don't know, but we still trust. And so here's the big point of tonight. Doubt isn't the issue that we have. It's what we do with the doubt that's the issue. All of us are gonna have doubt, but that's not the issue. It's what you do with doubt that becomes the issue. And when it comes to faith, some of us, we, we push our doubts really down deep when, where we don't wanna think about them, we don't have to talk about them, and then something comes up and it just kind of brings us to the forefront again, and then we start doubting more. I don't wanna lead to deconstruction today. I wanna to lead to the fullness of who Jesus is. And so today, we're gonna to talk about a couple things and then we're gonna be dismissed. So number one, about doubt. Doubt does not disqualify. Doubt does not disqualify. Verse 21, he says like this. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this from childhood? 
It often throws him into fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Lord, will you help my unbelief? Jesus is a little bit taken back. He says, if you can, do you know who I am? If you can, of course I can, of course I can do this. And then Jesus ends up healing the boy. Uh, what I see in this verse is that perfect faith does not require Jesus to act. Like some of you guys think you have to have it all together and then Jesus will bless you or Jesus will move in your life. No, Jesus healed this boy with the father's faith that was so small in that moment. Perfect faith does not require Jesus to act. Some of you guys need to just let go that you're not gonna have perfect faith all the time. You're gonna ask questions. And I know the book of James says, don't doubt, don't, you know, there's two, don't be like a two-minded man. I, I get that. But I think doubt makes us human sometimes. And so perfect faith does not require the boy to be healed and it does not require God to love you. God loves you today wherever you're at. Number two, doubt is directional. Doubt is directional. And I should maybe say doubt can be directional. I wanna show you a book that I read this past week. It's a really good book. I encourage you, if you have any doubts about life, I wanna encourage you in this book. It's called Doubting Towards Faith by Bobby Conway. And I love this phrase. It says, we can doubt towards God or we can doubt away from him. If you're struggling with doubt, I encourage you to doubt towards who God is. What, what, I, what I see, and when I saw this book and when I was reading this book, what, what I saw in it is that a lot of times when we have doubts, the easiest thing for us to do is go and get those doubts emboldened in our hearts. And so I have doubts, so I'm gonna go listen to all these different podcasts that help me to have my right, that help me have the same opinion. What I would say, if you're gonna doubt, doubt towards God. Get more in tune with the word of God. Get more in tune with good Bible teachers. Get more in tune with good preachers and people who actually wanna build your faith. Don't doubt away from God. Don't, don't make it down the road where you're going away from him. You're listening to all, all these atheists and secular. You don't have to go that route. Go doubt towards God. Bring your doubts to who he is. God's big enough. That you understand the kingdom of God will not be overcome by your doubt, right? It, like, he, he, he's not scared of those things. He wants to reveal to you the truth of his word. And so you can bring that to him. So if I'm going to tell you, doubt towards who God is. I think about a friend of mine who, he's kind of in this deconstruction mode right now. And, and in his life, he's talking about, like, he's in a good season. He's like, man, this is great. Like, I don't have to have the shame of Christianity is what he would say. I don't have to have the guilt of Christianity. Like, he right now is living his best life. But I remember the story of the prodigal son. And you remember that story. When he ran away from the father, he had some good times, right? Things were good for him. Because sin always feels a little, it feels like freedom for a season of life. And then when it hits you, you remember the story, he ended up in the pig pen in shame walking his way back to the father. And so I'd ask you again, doubt towards who God is. Everyone still with me? Yeah, and I can't hear you, so I don't know. Uh, doubt discloses things about us. Doubt discloses things about us. I'll never forget, a couple years ago, we had a, a family invite one of their friends to the church. They were praying for this guy. They wanted this guy to come to church. They were really excited for him to be at church. And they did all the things to get him here. He came to first service. And man, he, he sat in service, and, and I was really excited that he was there. We've been praying about this guy. And, and, and as the service was over, he left. And I asked the friend, I said, hey, how, how did he like it? He said, he said he's never gonna come back here again. I said, oh, okay. 
Well, he said, this place makes him feel really, really uncomfortable. I said, oh. And so in my head, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so what, what makes a guest feel uncomfortable in this church? So, like, did our guest services not do a good job? Did they not, were they too much at the doors or something? Or, or did our children's ministry not, not live up to state? Like, what, what was it? What did, was our worship too much? Was it too cold in the room? What, 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 what was the issue that made this person uncomfortable in church where they didn't like it? And then continuing on with the family who invited the guy, you start to find out, well, actually, with no judgment, he, he was kind of, he was living in a, in a pretty sinful relationship. He was living in some sin in his own life. And that it wasn't the fact that we made him uncomfortable. I believe the fact is that the Holy Spirit started convicting his heart and started grabbing a hold of him and saying, hey, this isn't right. Let's work on this. And you know that feeling, right? You've sat in church. You've sat in a sermon. You've sat in worship. You've sat in a Bible study in a small group. And, and God just said something to your heart and you knew that you needed to fix it. And for some of us, that's uncomfortable. We don't want to fix it. And, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize anyone's deconstruction or anything like that. But I want to say, I think sometimes it could be blame shifting that, God, I, I don't want to deal with what's in my own heart. God, I don't want to deal with what I'm struggling with. And so I'm going to put it all on, on God. And so sometimes doubt can come from just disclosing. It discloses who we really are. You understand that there is not, like if, you're, if your life, if who you are today was a house, there's not one room that God does not want any type of entrance to. Like if there's like a closet that you kind of hid off to God, if he loves you, eventually he's going to say, I need in there. I need in there. And if he loves you, he's gonna do that. And if you love him and you want the best for your life, you open it for him. Doubt discloses things about us. Here's, here's the last one, and we're gonna, we'll end it here. Doubt does not mean demolition. Again, I, I told you, I think I, I grew up in a church that a lot of times did not um, really see doubt in a positive way. And, and I don't think, it, maybe, and maybe I interpreted it that way. But doubt does not necessarily mean that you're not saved. It could be a symptom, but it doesn't mean that you're, not, that you're not saved. And so when I talk about deconstruction, when we talk about these things, I, I wanna use this verse, and I don't ever hear a lot of people talk about this verse, but I think it really does matter here. And so in Luke chapter 22, I'm just gonna read this to you. Luke 22, verse 31, he says like this, Simon, Simon, this is Jesus talking, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, that you would strengthen your brother. Can I tell you that's not a good quiet time, by the way? When you're reading your Bible and, and the Holy Spirit just says, hey, Satan's asked for you, it's not, it's not a good day. And, and he's praying, and Jesus says, I, I, prayed that, I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. You know what he didn't pray? He didn't say, I prayed that Satan wouldn't touch you. Satan was coming after him. He just said, I pray that your faith would not fail. There, there's a really interesting phrase there when he says your faith will not fail. In the Greek, it actually is a word, eklepo. It's where we get the word eclipse. You know, hopefully, what an eclipse is, right? It's whenever you're outside and the moon or whatever it is, body uh, gets in the way of the sun. And from your vantage point, you can't see anything. It's like the sun had disappeared. I do think that there are times in life some theologians call it the dark night of the soul, where not that God leaves you, but that it's almost like he kind of pulls back a little bit. Again, not that he's leaving you, 
but that in the book of Acts, it's like this, that we might reach out for him, though he's not far from any of us. That maybe, just maybe, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going with, it might feel like there's an eclipse right now, that wherever the sun was is not there anymore. And maybe all God's telling you to do is just wait a moment. Just wait a little bit longer. I'm gonna show back up. Maybe he's telling you, hey, reach out for me. Hey, go a little bit deeper here. Maybe there's an area in your house, in your closet that you haven't given God. They're saying, hey, open that door. I want, I, want, I want to go in there. I want to work on that. Maybe whatever it is, whatever eclipse it feels like in your life. Maybe if you're in the middle of doubt, it doesn't mean that your faith is gone. It's that maybe he's trying to get something to you. And so again, I'm just going to ask you, go towards him. Keep pushing towards him. The Bible tells us in Revelation that he who endures to the end will be saved. Your doubt does not mean demolition. And the last thing in this I would just say is sometimes we've got to quit looking at our relationship with God. And I've said this a little bit already, but we've got to quit looking at our relationship with God as merely transactional. We actually have to look at it as covenantal, as promise. The Bible tells us that we're, we, just we, we just celebrated the Lord's Supper right here, that he made a new covenant, a new promise with us, that we would be his people and he would be our God. And that when we get into those times where we're starting to doubt a little bit, when we get into those times where we start to feel like maybe he's not there, or when we get into those times where we feel like he's really, really distant from us, when we get into those moments, that's when the covenant for us needs to kick in and say, God, no matter what, I'm staying. No matter what, I'm here. Just like a marriage, I'm not leaving. And I think what that does is it proves, are we for God, are we with God because of who he is or for what he gives us? And I wanna be for God for who he is more than what he gives us. It's a relationship, not a transaction, but a covenantal relationship with God. All across this room, with everyone has bowed and eyes closed, just you and me for a second. If today's the day that you're just struggling, maybe, maybe it's your first or second or third time, maybe, maybe you don't know anything about this. We're talking about deconstruction and you haven't even had any kind of construction in your life. Maybe you don't know who God is. I wanna just give you the gospel really quickly. And this is really it, that there is a God in heaven who knows you and wants to be in relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross because you and I, we couldn't make it to be with God. We have too much sin, mistakes in our life. And if you really look in your heart, you know that. You know it, I know it. The Bible tells us that Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins, that we would take the full brunt of the punishment that we deserve from a holy God. And the Bible tells us he raised from the dead. All he asks us to do is admit that we're sinners. We believe that he died on the cross and that we would confess that he'd be the Lord of our life. That's all he's asking us to do. Every other major religion will tell you you need to do 10 steps to this, you need to get into this kind of path. All God asks you to do is just believe in him. You don't gotta clean yourself up, he'll take care of that later. But to come to know who Jesus is is a humble heart saying, God, I can't do it anymore. I need you to be my savior. I need you to take my life over. I need you to take my will and my heart and my emotions. And so if today's that day that you need to give your life to Jesus, and, and the, 
The thing it really needs to know is that there is eternity on the line. I'm not trying to scare you, but I have to tell you the truth because I love you today. There's a very real heaven, there's a very real hell. That might be unpopular today, but that's the truth. And eternal life with Jesus is with him in, in heaven. Your soul's together with him in heaven. And so if you need to give your life to Jesus today, I'm just gonna ask you to pray this simple prayer. And here it is. Father God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. With a little bit of knowledge that I know, I believe you died on a cross and I believe you were raised from the dead. I ask that you would be the Lord of my life. I give you my heart, I give you my will and my emotions. I ask that you be the savior. I said, in your name I pray. There was head bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I was looking around, just you and me, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you gave your life to Jesus, would you just slip up a hand? Is there anybody in the room for the first time? I see the hand, anyone else in the room? God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church, this congregation. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, for all of us that might have doubt, Lord, I pray that you give us your answers. And Lord, if not, that Lord, we'd be able to stand firm in our convictions. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I wanna invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.